it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show on what I promise you is a big news day. We're going to back that up uh, in the very first segment. We have a great friend standing by. With, with Christine, Wyatt, and Dan, my name is Harry Hurley, filling in for Guy, who will be back tomorrow. This is The Guy Benson Show. And on The Guy Benson Show, Newsmaker Hotline is my friend, the 56th two-term governor of the state of New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy, a former United States ambassador to Germany, the current chairman, former vice chairman before that, the current chairman of the National Governors Association, and many believe, myself included, that Governor Murphy will be a future candidate for President of the United States, joining us now on The Guy Benson Show, Governor Phil Murphy. Governor Murphy, welcome. Hey, Harry. Thank you so much for having me back. Good to hear your voice. And again, thanks to you and the whole Guy Benson team. Thank you, Governor. And today you've ordered that the United States and New Jersey flags shall fly at half-staff at all state buildings and facilities in recognition and remembrance of former New Jersey First Lady Lucinda Florio, who has passed away and as you know, Governor Florio, who is also a good friend of ours, uh, passed away just 53 days ago. So Lucinda now joins him. Your thoughts about that, Governor? Yeah, a sad, sad day. She passed yesterday. Jim and Lucinda were very good friends, great role models, giants in the modern history of New Jersey, and especially so in South Jersey. She was an educator. Um, she's just a wonderful woman, uh, and Jim was a great guy. We went back and forth with uh, Jim's daughter, Kathy, and Lucinda's son, Mark, and uh, she is going to be sorely missed. Among other things, she led the renovation of the governor's mansion in Princeton, and just an all-around great, great person and a big loss. Very beautiful words. Governor Murphy, you delivered earlier today the keynote address in Atlantic City at the 107th New Jersey State League of Municipalities. What was your message? Yeah, uh, number one, that we're all in this together, all levels of government. Number two, most days, if not uh, all days, our residents don't care whether we're a D or an R. They care that we are listening to them and we get the job done. Uh, And... And then lastly, two policy areas I hit hard. One is property tax relief and fiscal responsibility, which are two themes that was stressed hard. And secondly is I want to reform our liquor liquor license laws. And if we can do it the right way and equitably, I think it's a game changer for main streets up and down the state. On the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is the governor of the state of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, in a wide-ranging interview today. And we have the governor for about another 11 minutes. We're going to make it count. Comment on the recent midterm national elections. Your timing, as usual, is prompt and, and impeccable because a day or so ago we would still say the House is up in the air. We don't know for sure. Uh, we know the Senate is going to be very close, but Democrats will control it. So my short 
comment to you, Governor, is we remain a 50-50 nation. The American people have spoken, and they won split government, but by a whisker. The House could have gone one way or the other. The Senate could have gone one way or the other. So Republicans yeah. will have the majority in the House. Uh, the the Democratic Party will have the majority 50 to 50 with the, the vice president, as you know, the president of the Senate, or 51-49, and we'll know that on December 6th with Georgia. What are your yeah. thoughts about what – do you agree with me? We're a 50-50 nation? Yeah, I, I think in many respects, Harry, you're absolutely right. I mean you've got the House by a whisper, whisker. You've got the Senate by a whisker. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the vice chair about to be chair of the Democratic Governors Association. I think that was a little bit more in our favor as a party. We picked up net two. I think 57 percent of Americans are now governed by Democratic governors. But coming back to the federal level, I think you're absolutely right. I'm told this is a Mitch McConnell line. I'm not sure it is, but it feels like the election validated the observation that most Americans want to see us govern between the 40-yard lines. Uh, and it feels like that's, that, that was the message. I, I do think there was, uh, th- there was a- enough already um, on some things like denying the election and questioning democratic institutions. I think there was an element of that. Uh, and, and beyond that, uh, let's hope that we can find common ground. You know, at one level, you'd expect, well, nothing will get done. But if you do believe that phrase that America wants to see us govern between the 40-yard lines, it seems to me when you've got a split federal reality, there's every opportunity to take advantage of that and to find common ground. And I hope that's exactly what we end up doing as a nation. And Governor Murphy, I don't really think that's Pollyanna. That's not what most people are thinking right now because things mm-hmm. appear to be so divided. But if we roll back the Wayback Machine to the midterm uh, election of Bill Clinton when Republicans took back the House and the Senate uh, yeah. and the, the House for the first time in 40 years at the time, they got a tremendous amount of good work done together. Absolutely. And, and I hope that that's that that's the playbook that both parties and leaders uh, pursue as opposed to you know, endlessly throwing, you know, throwing food at each other and putting up roadblocks. Let's 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 seize the common ground. And I believe there's a there's real opportunity to do that. On the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline, it's New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Governor Murphy, uh, I'm not saying this to butter you up, but we have a fantastic first lady, as you know, uh, in First Lady Tammy Murphy. And the two of you are very, very big on education and you're always looking at ways if if the term reinvent or to look at things from a different perspective and my friends uh have told me you and i have not had a chance to talk about this yet but we will now for a moment my friends tell me that we're mutual friends of ours that you're planning to pivot to a new statewide approach regarding student mental health for the next school year i will tell you as a former school board member a long time ago uh, I've never seen a time, and I, I do believe, I think we're going to have agreement on this point, I do believe the pandemic created a mental health crisis with students. Some people, as you know, did very, very well with remote learning, and some people found they did very bad with it. What are, what's your vision? What are your thoughts about a new approach regarding student mental health? Because it is different now than probably ever before. Do you agree? Question. No question. I certainly agree. Uh, thank you for the gracious words about my wife, and I could not agree with you more. She's an incredible leader in her own right. 
Um, you mentioned, and again, I appreciate your gracious words that I'm the chair of the National Governors Association. When you're the chair, you get an, an initiative to pursue over the course of your year as chair. And in fact, I chose strengthening mental health among our, our kids uh, to the very point uh, that you've raised. So here's the short version of this, and I'm not sure we've made news yet, but I'll probably make it now. We've had a very successful program in place that has served the kids that have shown real mental health challenges. That's probably two to 3% of our kids' school population. There's probably 80 different pods of approach that have been very successful. We have an, a, a, an opinion that while it's a small percentage that may reveal their mental health challenges, frankly, we need to cast a much wider net that many, if not most, frankly, if not all of our kids have been nicked up one way or another uh, in this pandemic. So we, we put forward for comment uh, a, a plan that would have so-called 15 hubs and spokes around the state where you would touch the majority, if not if not uh, all, all of our kids, a lot of folks like that first approach that's successful. I don't I don't disagree with them. So at least for the foreseeable future, we're going to do and both. We're going to continue what we've been doing in the pods for the kids who really need it most acutely, but we're going to cast that wider net and we're going to run both trains down parallel tracks uh, for the, at least the foreseeable future. What are your thoughts relative? Now, I wasn't even thinking about this, but you just um, spawned this follow-up question. What are your thoughts, Governor, about the loss in terms of the drop in the different testing in these core curriculum uh, courses that are so important for these children at, at, at this developmental age? How do we get that back? And and is that a – I mean, I don't think you can get it all back in one year, but we have to have a plan to get it back. What is that plan? You, you, you Ben, and, and, and Harry, it's not even worth debating. The test scores scream the learning loss out at you. So, you know, we, there was a time when folks were debating this. Let's get that in the rearview mirror. I think it's a combination of things, and it won't be overnight. That's my quick answer. It'll be more money. Uh, we have an acute teacher shortage, which we need to address. I just signed an executive order to establish an urgent commission to come up with recommendations, more time on the clock probably for our kids in one form or another, uh, more intensity in underserved communities where the test scores are even uh, weaker. So I think it's – I wish there was one lever, and I wish it were overnight. I think it's a whole range of steps that we're taking, uh, but it's probably too early to declare victory for sure. But I think we understand what we need to do. Now we just got to go out and execute. It's the Guy Benson Show visiting with New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy on a variety of important topics of the day. Governor Murphy, you know I'm going to do this. I did it in the tease. And this is a little tricky because obviously the president, we only have one president at a time, and this happens to be a president of your major political party. But are you, Governor Phil Murphy, are you a future candidate for the highest office in our country for president of the United States? Yeah, I could say categorically as we sit here today, Harry, no. Uh, and I say that because I believe that President Biden uh, is going to run for president. He has said uh, – he hasn't said it definitively, but um, he certainly has given signals uh, that that's what he's going to do. I take him on his word, uh, and assuming he does, I'm going to be a 1,000 percent 
behind him. We can all play the hypothetical, what happens if he doesn't, et cetera. But I, I, my view on that one is I feel pretty darn strongly that, in fact, he is going to go out and do it, and I'm going to be right first in line to help him get back over the goal line. Under the right circumstances, is, is this something that's on your radar for the future? Again, I, I'll, I'll hold off on that, Harry, but just because I think in the in the immediate uh, real world um, that we're we're facing, I think we know who our candidate is going to be. And by the way, with all respect to the, you know, he, no one's perfect, and the boss isn't perfect either. But boy, I think he's earned it. And if Gavin Newsom and other people got in there, which they may, that would not change your calculation. No, I, I, it won't change my calculation, and I don't think you're going to see one guy's opinion. I don't think you're going to see any strong challenge, assuming the president goes. That do you think the my, Do you think the midterm, sense. Governor Murphy? Do you think the midterm election uh, bolstered the president's position because it was it was getting a little rough out there, and it looks yeah. like he got some good wins at his back. Uh, yeah. With, He's probably – I haven't asked him ever, but he's probably not still thrilled with his own numbers. But I think the answer has to be yes, and I think you see the adults in the room uh, with this president and his team, which is an outstanding team, look at his meeting with Xi Jinping uh, and both the strength of that and the acceptance that we need to be able to coexist with the People's Republic of China, his performance at the G20, his – emergency leadership when this missile tragically landed in Poland and killed a couple of innocent people. I think you're seeing the adult in the room presidency that he promised in, in living color in you addition know, I, to a good midterm result. When I'm doing guy show, I don't ever talk about my show, but this morning I'll, I'll make an exception because of what you just said, Governor Murphy. I commended President Biden today, and I haven't done that a lot, to be honest with you, sir. I commended him because he handled that from the very beginning. You know, when Poland was talking about Article 4, that gets your knees a little wobbly. That's on deck to declaring Article 5. And those listening to Guy Benson show, a lot of people, I don't want to throw jargon out, but that means if a NATO country is attacked, we all sign on to, if one attack is attacked, all are attacked. That would have been World War Three, And Every word he said was imperative at that moment, Governor Murphy. And for the listeners out there, it's, it's only ever been invoked once by the United States after 9-11. Correct. Uh, and uh, I was with the German president this morning. I received an, an honor from the German government, and everybody agreed that cooler heads – the adults in the room prevailed, thank yeah, God. It was, it was handled beautifully by, by all concerned. Final question. And I know this would be breaking news, and that's what I'm asking for. You as chairman of the National Governors Association, can you tell us on The Guy Benson Show with fill-in guy, Harry Hurley, where the next National Governors Association 2023 annual summer meeting will be held? Yeah, this is – I am going to make news, and it's great news. Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, and we are thrilled by that. It's going to be mid-July. The details, the exact details we're still ironing out. But we will bring the nation's governors from both sides of the aisle to Atlantic City, uh, which is a crown jewel, not just in our state, but in our country. Uh, we're going to show it off. We'll have a great productive meeting and have some fun in the Garden State down by the shore. 
I am so honored that you made that uh, breaking news announcement this morning on Guy's program. You put this in there with the 1964 Democratic Convention, which should have been President Kennedy's convention. You brought the uh, the national NAACP convention to Atlantic City, the biggest convention since the 64 convention. And this is absolutely huge. Thank you for the honor of breaking this news, Governor. My honor, Harry, and thank you for having me on as always. And please give Guy and his team my best. You, you know it, sir. Thank you, Governor Murphy. Have a great night. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, breaking news. And that's, I'm telling you, that is big news. I'm not even just talking about economic spend, which is huge. It, this is big news. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. My friends, no matter what title you all, my colleagues, have bestowed upon me, speaker, leader, whip, there is no greater official honor for me than to stand on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. I'm not a fan, but I give her credit for the speech. And I also honor when someone has been a consequential figure. And whether you like Nancy Pelosi or do not like Nancy Pelosi for nearly 20 years, she was the minority leader or speaker of the House twice. She became the first woman in American history to wield the speaker's gavel, you have to give her that. And she's held her seat as the representative from San Francisco for 35 years. And the interesting thing is I thought she was going to ride off and become ambassador to Italy. Uh, but she appears to want to stay, uh, but not in a leadership position. So uh, today's is this is not a kumbaya edition of The Guy Benson Show. I don't agree with her philosophy of governance. Uh, I don't like some of the snarky things she says, you know, but um, on this day, I have no problem uh, respecting and even paying testimony to her contributions of almost four decades in private life. We'll be back in just a little bit. Much more. It's the Guy Benson Show. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Guy, who will be back tomorrow. And it is, of course, my privilege 
to have the opportunity to work once again with Christine Wyatt and Dan. They make it, I mean, for me, I feel like like a robot. It's plug and play because they are just so awesome at what they do. Our topic for this segment, I think, is a very important one. We're going to talk about the impact. What, what does it mean that Republicans won control of the House of Representatives? And, and I'm also going to delve into would it have been that much different had Republicans been able to also win the Senate? We now know that's not possible. I, I believe, and I said this yesterday on Guy's program, I believe that Herschel Walker is going to win. I think he's going to have a couple to three point decisive win. And these elections in Georgia have been very, very close, as you know, two cycles in a row, two years ago. And now in this midterm cycle, uh, no one's been able to get 50 percent plus one vote. So they've had to go to the special election each time. So, you know, these elections that even a independent candidate, third party candidate of any kind getting about one point eight percent of the vote because it was so equally divided Neither of the candidates. Look, if you had one of the major party candidates in in a comfortable win, the one point eight to two percent peel off by an independent candidate wouldn't matter. But in a, in a fifty fifty type proposition, yeah, it makes all the difference in the world. It looked like from the beginning that neither Warnock nor nor Walker would get over the fifty percent. Would it be that much different if they had both? We've seen that in in the not too distant past, split government with a president of one party, both ways, by the way, a Democrat president with a with a Republican Congress, a Republican president with a Democratic Congress in one or both of the houses. Here's what I think it means. You're going to see and look, Jim Jordan and Representative Comer, they came out swinging today. Here's what it means. For the past two years, Republicans have wanted information And it's easy to deny them. They don't have subpoena power. They write these memos. Please preserve this material. You can't throw it away. No spoliation of evidence. Uh, But they're not giving it to them. But they're asking for it not to be destroyed because they they believe that they would be back in control of at least one House of the the Congress uh, by this election cycle. And it's happened. So starting January 3rd, get ready because they've already telegraphed it. I think one of the biggest things it does, obviously, if you studied in grade school and high school and in college, you know that all spending measures originate in the House. So, for example, the Inflation Reduction Act could never have passed. Several of the spending measures in the trillions would not have passed with just one House of Congress in the other major political parties column. So that's a major thing. It's a check and balance. I will tell you the financial markets. I used to be in in the financial services industry for a bit, and I know it from then, and I know it now as a broadcaster. Our financial markets love split government. They don't want a president, a Senate, and a House of the same party. They like the status quo. They like that radical things can't happen and things can't happen too quickly. What does it mean? Here's what it means. It puts the brakes on the Biden agenda for anything other than what President Biden can do, either with cooperation of now the Republican Party or anything that he can do or thinks he can do with his executive pen and cordless phone. 
Remember Obama said, I have a pen and a phone. I don't know why he needed the phone, because if you have the pen, you don't need the phone. But he said he had a pen and a phone, so that must mean something. It's just not something that was coherent to me. But he said it, and it became famous. So Biden, get ready. President Biden will be signing a lot of executive orders. Look, they're getting pushback on the student loan uh, thing. The president knew, and he had said it before, that he didn't have the authority to do that. I believe that was an election ploy to get votes. It was political, legal, if you will, bribery. Made the bribe, didn't pay it off, though. But guess what the president can do? The president does have the executive authority to continue to suspend the payments. I'm not promising you this, but I usually am very good at reading political tea leaves. I've been doing it for a long time. And I think that President Biden will extend the current December 31st pause. Right now, if you have a student loan or parents out there that took out the Parent PLUS loans, I think there's a very good chance that although the $10,000 or if you took out a Pell Grant, the $20,000 that you thought you were going to get, and meanwhile, the, the young people thought the Gen Z, they thought these checks were coming to them and they were going to spend them on Disney World and other vacations and cars and things like that. They were going to send it to your lending institution. It was going to be taken off if your bill was 10000 or more. It was going to be taken off of your bill that you owe. It's not, it wasn't coming to anyone as a slush fund. Oh, oh, I got this $10,000, $20,000. I'm not going to use it for school. Heck with that. You know, I'm going to go buy something. You weren't going to get to do that. But people thought they were. So I think that did have a major impact, actually. I think that could have made three, four, five points in this election nationwide. Maybe more in some areas, less in others. So I'm predicting here today on The Guy Benson Show that that pause that's in effect, when we keep hearing this is the last one, this is the last one, this is the absolute last one. And, you know, this has been said time and time again, since the, the entire pandemic. I think it will be extended again. And the president will say, I wanted to give uh, the American people relief. Republicans stop me. It'll be a chance to blame Republicans again for everything. Uh, not that it was a judge that actually stopped it. The Republicans will get the blame. That's how they play. They play dirty. And he then will be a hero because, let's face it, Nobody's complaining. I will say this. If you can, this is an amazing opportunity while no interest is accruing to pay your loans down. If you'd been doing that for the past more than two years, you could really, in some cases, you could have paid your loans off. No interest. Just throw down payments towards principal. And there's, you can do that now. There's no stopping you from doing that between now and the end of the year. Uh, I don't see a scenario possible. Anything's possible. I don't see a scenario where the president does not, maybe around Christmas, Christmas Eve, a couple days before Christmas Eve, the president will be making very popular again. We'll say that we couldn't get done what we wanted to get done. And so I am extending the pause because people weren't ready to do this. They thought that they were going to have this money and we haven't been able to, to do it and look for that. So that's a thing. That's it's a part of split government because you're going to have both sides going at this thing. More than anything, I think what you're going to see, and don't forget, 
Right now it is 218, the bare majority for your party to control the people's house. Maybe it's going to go up. I think it will go up. I'm comfortable to say it will go up by at least one more, possibly two more. Out of the six races that are undecided, I think Democrats are going to win four of them. They're in California. They're in Democrat districts. Some of them are fairly close. Some of them aren't. It's outrageous that still in uh, Garcia was the one that put the um, Republicans over the top and only 70 percent of his vote was in. But he's winning by almost 10 points. And that is a great victory an absolutely just major victory in a Democrat area with within redistricting got even more Democrat. And Garcia won his seat two years ago in that all male vote by mail pandemic election that we had. He in a presidential year. He won by three hundred and thirty three votes. He is winning this time by many, many thousands of votes. And it's interesting that a former pilot, fighter pilot, pulls off the uh, the one that it's like if you're playing the Ryder Cup or something like that and you just happen to be the match that wins it for your country, uh, he's the one that put them over the top. I think they're going to go to 219. I, I'm confident, confident to say they'll go to 219, and I feel quasi-good about saying 220. I think the absolute most that Republicans will have is 221. And you have to hearken back about 72 years ago when Republicans had exactly 221. Democrats did not have 214. They had 212. There were two independents that didn't caucus with either side. So this is really similar to what the Democrats had in the last session. And you got you have to give Pelosi credit because she was – not only speaker, but she was basically the whip. I mean, they just told you, you will vote this way. And if you don't, we will put five or 10 million on your primary challenger next year. Because in the people's house, you can always say the next election is next year. Because January 3rd comes and then the election is the following year. And our founders were brilliant. They kept the people's house on a short leash, two years. They wanted the Senate to be more deliberative and they got six years, and it's all worked beautifully for about two and a half centuries. So my message to Guy Benson Show listeners is Republicans being in charge, To this is not to underwhelm you. I am a fan, though, of under-promising and over-delivering. But you can't expect all that much. Anything they pass has to be something that almost every single Republican agrees with. And you know how tough that's going to be. Let's not forget Kevin McCarthy, who everyone assumes is automatically the next speaker, had 31 people vote against him two days ago. 31 Republicans did not vote for him. You have members of the Freedom Caucus that say they will not vote for Kevin McCarthy. So something's going to have to give here because there's more of them than there are the three, four or five seat advantage that Republicans are going to hold. So what does a Republican House of Representatives mean for the country? All these things. Also, the things I, I said earlier today, I think Republicans should should 
agree on five or six things that you know you all agree on and you vote them and you pass them and the Senate will probably not pass them. And then in two years, when you're running again and 35 Senate seats are up and Democrats are defending two thirds of them, this time it was the Republicans defending the lion's share of seats. That's going to be a very, very rough environment for the Democrat Party come in 2024. And of course, at the top of the ticket, the presidential election on top of that. And then the people's house say, look, I, I would love to be part of a story where you could say that I passed something that would have made us energy independent again. I passed something that would have brought inflation down. I passed something that would have fixed the supply chain. I voted on something that would help with the price that we pay at the, uh, the, the cash register at the grocery store because people are hurting right now. And all the experts are saying that this is at least another year of this, even though don't, uh, what, what is very important, and, and I don't uh, spin, I, I, I relentlessly pers- pursue the truth. It is true, inflation, there's two measures. You have inflation, then you have core inflation. The core inflation takes into consideration energy and food. In the inflation number that you see, I'll call it top line, they don't have energy or food in there. Well, we eat and we consume energy. You can't pull that out and be telling an honest story. So it went down from 8.2 to 7.7. And yes, our financial markets liked it. But let me tell you the truth about it. And this is another thing that I believe having Republican governance in one of the branches, equal, co-equal branches of government, will mean. They will be telling the story that although inflation went down from 8.2 to 7.7, that is still extraordinarily high, and you cannot have a healthy country with 7.7% inflation. But more importantly, the 7.7 down from 8.2 is only on big-ticket items, cars that people didn't buy, appliances, and things like that. Nothing by way of essentials. You know, there's need buying and want buying. If you want a new stove, but the other stove is still working, a lot of people aren't buying the new stove. They're going to wait until the economy improves. The car you would buy because I want that car, as opposed to I need that car, you're not going to buy it. That hurts all these things that when the country was just cooking and, and people had the highest wages they ever had and inflation was zero and we were energy independent and a net oil exporter, and all of this was going very, very well. That's what I think Republican governance in the House of Representatives is going to mean. We'll take a brief time out. Thank you for listening to The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Very nice to fill in today for Guy, who will be back tomorrow. So you know he is going to be ready to go with sight, sounds, observations of all kinds of things that have been happening uh, in just a couple of days that Guy's been away. It's The Guy Benson Show with Christine, Wyatt, Dan, yours truly, Harry. And let's close out this hour on the following. I'm sure that Guy has talked about this on his show in the past. I know that I have mentioned it the handful of times that we have the privilege to be here uh, because, you know, God does not like to miss. Uh, so whenever we're here, we, we, we appreciate the opportunity and um, honor the brand. So the issue of the president 
and these cue cards that are professionally printed. They have his name on them, President Joe Biden. And then they have some of the most basic things that I don't even know. Maybe Christine, as a parent, and I'm a parent, could tell us if she was here. She is here, but that was rhetorical. What age would you not even have the need to tell your child you will sit here? Uh, There were cards that once said um, Kamala Harris is smart. Uh, You will sit center. You will get up. You will leave and go. I mean, it it is I have to say and 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 it pains me to say because whenever possible, you know, I, I don't make any bones about it. I'm not a supporter of the, the philosophy of governance of Joe Biden. The old Joe Biden, yes, this woke, broke, joke, new version that I, I think is under the control of the man that they call the prime minister, uh, Klain and, and Susan Rice, because this, this is just not this is not the Joe Biden of most of the last 50 years with this incredibly radical stuff. But on these notes that he has, where he should sit, the proper time to do so, multiple reminders that his opening remarks are on the next page. I mean, this is this. Honestly, if you're being honest and dispassionate, this has all the makings of someone that has a mental acuity issue and they can read, but they need help. It's like sort of Fetterman like, you know, Fetterman is not going to be able to answer questions like regular people they they told the media this yesterday we talked about it a little bit on the guy benson show keep an eye on this this stuff you will sit you will stand uh these scary basic instructions wow it is the guy benson show From the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. My name is Harry Hurley filling in today. Poor Guy, who will be back tomorrow. It's a big news day. It's the Guy Benson Show on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline is United States Congressman Michael Waltz. He represents the 6th Congressional District, which I visit his district at least three, four times a year. It's my favorite part of Florida. I love Central Florida. Congressman Waltz represents North Central Florida. He's the first Green Beret to serve in the Congress, a former White House and Pentagon advisor, a combat veteran who served in the Bush, Obama, and Trump administrations. And really every single day, especially the past two years in the minority, I I can only imagine, Congressman, how it feels that in less than, what, six weeks, you're going to be in the majority party. Uh, Your team will now have the gavel. Your team will now have subpoena power. I mean, it's it's whether the margin is close or not. Uh, nobody got mad at the Astros when they beat uh, the Phillies three to two. They still won the game. Uh, Congressman Waltz, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Yeah, hey, thanks so much. And 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 to your point, as we've been saying, they don't make uh, small, medium, and large gavels. Gavels, I gavels. It. I love it. Hey, right. And uh, but that said, uh, you know, I, I just, we do need to, as as a party, as a conference, we do need to take a pause though. 
learn our lessons for why we didn't do as well as we did. Okay. Uh, you know, a hallmark of every military operation and every good business uh, that, that I've been in, uh, you, you learn your lessons, you're improved, uh, <laughs> you know, what you need to improve, what you need to uh, not do again uh, so that we don't re- repeat our mistakes and that we move forward. And I think one of the biggest ones is is that we can't put all our eggs in the same day, day of election turnout basket. Mail can oh. work if you do it the right way, as we do in Florida, with integrity uh, uh, built into the system. But, man, listen, mail works for yeah. our rural voters. Mail works for our senior citizens. Uh, and if we walk away from that in a party, especially in blue states where uh, they're not going to change, uh, yeah. we have to fight on the battlefield that's presented to us. You're so you're so correct about that, Congressman Waltz. And I, I have literally been almost screaming at the top of my lungs that Democrats have processed that there's not one election day anymore. There's election season. They understand there's three different elections. You have vote by mail. You have early voting. And then you have finally right. election day. If we think right. we can wait until the, the first Tuesday this year because of the first Tuesday being uh, the first, it was on the second, the eighth. But if yep. we think we can yep. wait until that one day, I mean, th- that's that's in all these close races. And, you know, I know how you study this stuff. There are excruciatingly close races all over the country that Democrats squeaked out most of the close races. Some Republicans did. But it was either Republicans like you winning comfortably or Democrats winning narrowly and in the, the obvious uh, deep, dark blue states, winning in, 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 a, in a blowout fashion, too. But they understand, like Fetterman knew, he had 600,000 yeah. votes cast before anybody knew he couldn't speak. Uh, that's right. They're very smart about this. No, that's right. Well, look, and then, you know, there was, there was a storm that hit northern Nevada there in our go. rural areas the there day of the election. There you go. Uh, and Hurricane Nicole was originally forecast to hit Miami the day of uh, the election and could have drastically altered turnout where they've already banked them. Yeah. Uh, they banked those votes uh, in the run-up. And here's where I knew Florida was going to be a tsunami is the last several uh, cycles. We have traditionally been behind the Democrats in early voting and in mail-in. And this cycle, we were ahead of them. So I knew that plus day of we were going to have uh, we were going to have a great turnout. But we just can't uh, – I think that genie is out of the bottle in some of these blue states. State legislatures set the way we vote, and we have to we have to compete on that on that battlefield. But to your point, a gavel's a gavel. Uh, we will have subpoena power. We will drive legislation to the floor. Uh, I will have. Uh, I'm hoping. I, I think I will have uh, be chairman of military readiness. That's responsibility for all training. Uh, we will cut CRT and all of this other woke nonsense out of the United States military. Uh, so there are things that we can get done even with a narrow majority. A book that I'm going to urge, uh, guys, listeners, to, uh, to to please pick up. Just don't make it look pretty in your bookshelf. Actually turn <laughs> the pages because Congressman Waltz partnered with Brave Books to co-author Dawn of the Brave, which teaches kids about the importance of service and teamwork. I remember when I was a child, we always had a big focus on Veterans Day. Veterans would come in and speak. They would wear their uniforms I'm the son of a World War II hero, a Bronze Star Medal recipient. So proud of my dad, Congressman Waltz. And I love those things in school. And that always gave me a profound respect for our military. If we stop teaching that, we're going to lose that. We're going to lose that forever. 
No, no, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, to, to all of the listeners out there, we can complain about what's being taught in our schools and what's being put in our kids' hand, hands and minds, uh, or we can replace that with good, wholesome content. I encourage them to go to bravebooks.com. My book was on uh, leadership, teamwork, uh, serving a cause higher than yourself, but they have you know books on faith and family and, and, and all kinds of great themes for our kids. The other piece that is, and the good news from this election is we have a record number of veterans coming into this Congress. Yeah. They started coming out of the woodwork after the Afghanistan withdrawal debacle. Uh, we had um, you know, focused efforts on helping them get the right teams and the right district. But we've got fields, Green Berets like myself, female pilots. Uh, we will have an increase in the number of veterans for the first time in decades. And why does that matter? It's not that we agree on every issue. It's the ethos that we bring. If we were willing to die for that flag, uh, we'll be willing to take some tough votes and roll up our sleeves and move the country forward with a mission focus. And, and, and I, I love what you just said, because there are certain vocations that are transferable and those skill sets work so well. And the veteran and everything you've been through from training to those that that served in theater, that transfers into this level of public service extraordinarily well and we've watched you do it it really does doesn't it well look i mean it's it's the basics that we learn at an early age it's leadership teamwork discipline followership that's an important skill too and the other piece is you know along with that ethos in the foxhole the plane the ship nobody cares about black white or brown they care about political party they care about america right and the only color we're worried about is red white and blue and if you don't get things done in combat, you don't accomplish the mission, really bad things happen uh, where we have think too many uh, politicians that are just fine to perpetuate a problem rather than solve it. So I, yeah. I, I do think it's all those skills. You're listening to United States Congressman Michael Waltz from Florida, uh, who will be part of this um, great new majority come January 3rd of the new year. Just this morning, I know you were on this, and I know this is something you, you've been on for quite a while. I give my former boss, President Trump, a lot of credit for this, Congressman Waltz, because he he called out uh, these so-called allies. I'm not going to say that. They are our allies, but they don't they don't deliver the goods sometimes where we pay our fair share and they don't pay their fair share. For example, our European allies that are not doing their fair share when it comes to Ukraine. I think you're going to agree with this statement. Ukraine can win this thing. You know, a lot of people thought, oh, my God, they're going to just make a deal on day one or two. Had they had what they needed from the beginning, I mean, every time they're in close combat with Russia, Ukraine wins. Ukraine is winning right now. Uh, Russia has this advantage from the air. That, that's all that I see that they have. They don't have the, the resolve. Many of the Russian soldiers are beating feet. They're cutting and running. They, uh, they don't want to be there. Then Some of them didn't know why they were there. They don't want to kill Ukrainians. Uh, and yet the Ukrainians do not want to be Russian. They will fight to the death. I mean, this is incredible. So if our European allies step up and do their fair share, Ukraine's got a real shot here, not only to win, I think they got a shot to take back the the former annexed uh, areas, Crimea and other areas. They might win the whole darn thing. Congressman Waltz, what are your thoughts? Well, look, point one, and I was there in December of uh, last year, uh, when the Biden administration was saying that Stinger missiles were too provocative and too escalatory. 
right. Uh, right. If they had had the weapons that they were asking for beforehand, and we need to learn this lesson for Taiwan, maybe Putin would have said this is going to cost me too much and not done it at all. That said, uh, they are having the success they're having because we have supported them. But both things can be true. We can support them, but provide more oversight to where and be sure uh, where it's going and how the dollars are being spent. And two, the Europeans have to do way more. I'm sick and tired of the United States you know, almost solely bearing this burden outside of a few Eastern European countries like Poland and Romania. Uh, but Germany, Germany has delivered a fraction of what it promised, number one. Uh, number two, uh, its trade has decreased with Russia a whopping 3 percent, mm. uh, despite the vaunted wall of, uh, of, of sanctions wow. that, that Biden promised. So, um, you know, look, uh, uh, and finally, why is this in our interest? If Putin slices through Ukraine, he will move on to the Baltics, he will move on to parts of Poland, and then we will be obligated uh, through our NATO treaties to put American boots on the ground. And I don't want that. So, uh, you know, for those that just want to stick their heads in the sand and turn their back on the problem, that is actually a recipe to get us more involved, uh, not the other way around. I think you're going to agree with this, but if we have a split decision, feel free. Uh, we're visiting with Congressman Waltz on The Guy Benson Show. Congressman Waltz, in terms of President Biden, I mean, uh, Ukraine, uh, rather, Afghanistan was an absolute disgrace. There's never been anything like that. No, no commander in chief in American history has ever done what he did. The order that he did, military out first, uh, people out last and leave billions of dollars worth of equipment. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a civilian with no military background. I, I, I talked to a child about this, and they said to me, wow, that was pretty stupid. What I would have done would have been I would have had the military there till the end. I would have got our people out first, and then I would have either gotten the material out or blown it up. Uh, we didn't do any of that. So that obviously is our sort of our template of uh, President Biden's decision-making. He, he lied to us all and said the generals recommended this. I knew they didn't, and it came out later that they did not. Then we see uh, Putin very provocative. If President Trump was still the president, I don't think we would be talking about a war with Ukraine. He would have never done it, and he was late coming to the party there, getting Ukraine what they needed. That was bad. Do, are your spidey senses tingling? This is where I'm getting to. Are your spidey senses tingling, Congressman Waltz, that we're about to say, make the same mistake with Taiwan. Oh, yeah, yes, uh, in in a number of ways. Uh, number one is uh, the world sees weakness in this White House right now, and um, uh, we have to project strength and we have to project clarity to prevent wars uh, in the first place. And you know, just look to your point on Afghanistan. I have to say this. Uh, we are going to get accountability for those 13 Gold Star families Thank that God. have had zero of their questions asked, that Thank should God. never have been put in that position in the first place, trying to do a mass evacuation while also defend uh, an airport in the middle of a city of 4 million people uh, guarded by the Taliban. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, what could go it, wrong? Yeah, what, what, what did go? Absolutely. What did go wrong? Number one. Number two. The, the war on terrorism hasn't just gone away because Biden wished it away. 
uh, that al-Qaeda and ISIS didn't get the message. The intelligence community is blinking red. They're, de- re- they're developing the capability to hit us again, but now they have the support of, you know, a Taliban-led government and, eight, you know, and billions of dollars worth of equipment. Uh, so that's a, that's a factor. But then finally, to your point, uh, you can have the most capable military in the world, uh, which right now ours is, is not in the, the best of shape that it should be. But if you don't have a commander in chief that our adversaries believe will use it effectively, uh, they are going to be on the march and they're going to take advantage of that situation. I believe with Taiwan, we very well uh, could be in some type of conflict under the next president's watch. And God help us if that's Joe Biden. I listen to you very closely when you speak because you think before you speak and you have great experience. United States Congressman Michael Waltz, I I regret to say we're down to the final minute and a hard break, so we're going to have to run. And I know you have to run as well. Give us your thoughts. Give us a minute or so, a minute and a half even, on uh, President Trump, uh, media past President Trump announcing his plans to seek the presidency in 2024. Well, look, uh, uh, I thought the speech uh, was substantive, was forward-looking. I thought the tone uh, reflected the seriousness of which, with which we find ourselves uh, now as a country and on the international stage. Uh, and, and if he's talking about what he got done and how he's going to build on that uh, from the border to the economy to rebuilding the military to China to the Abraham Accords uh, and, and focuses on that, and how he's going to move the country forward. And to the extent we need to, uh, to talk about election integrity, it's what we're going to do about it moving forward. Uh, I, I think he's going to be uh, in, in, in great shape. But we need to return to that America first agenda, and I hope that's what he stays focused on. I could support that all day long. Congressman Waltz, thank you for your military service, and thank you for your current public service. Hey, thank you. God bless. Talk You're soon. Welcome. You know it. We will be back. Uh, That's Congressman Michael Waltz uh, telling it like it is, sometimes in a world that's living it like it isn't. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Welcome back. It is The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. I'm Harry Hurley filling in today for a guy who will be back tomorrow. So get ready for that because, you know, Any talk show host has been out just two days. You've got a lot to say when you come back. And there is, of course, a lot going on in our country. Fox News has confirmed the following. This Sunday's Buffalo Bills, it's a big game for them because obviously they they, um, they kind of blew it last week. Uh, They lost a game that I think they could have uh, could have handled. They're playing the Browns. The game, though, because Buffalo is potentially going to get up to four feet of snow. If you follow the different Fox News Channel meteorologists, they're all over this. It's going to be a training effect. They're going to be getting like five, six more inches every hour for a really long period of time. So they could get up to four feet of snow. The NFL, they're taking no chances with this. So Sunday's game, Cleveland Browns-Buffalo Bills game will be moved to Ford Field in Detroit at 1 p.m. Interesting to note because Dan is um, a great sportsman, a great great sports aficionado. He shared with me during the break, this is very unusual. This will mean Buffalo will play at Ford Field two weeks in a row. You never see that. So details on the tickets and other game day information, or twice in one week, rather. Yeah, 
even more, Dan, uh, details on tickets and other game day information for Sunday's game in Detroit will be announced shortly. But just for your planning purposes, that game has moved from Buffalo to Ford Field. We have much more important content coming up in the next segment on The Guy Benson Show. Karen Bass, uh, I have nothing against her. I'm just not a fan of her philosophy of governance. I am a big fan of Rick Caruso. And Rick Caruso got the imagination, the attention of people like the, the, the Wahlberg family, of Kim Kardashian. I mean, he got a lot of support. He just fell short. Los Angeles could have changed dramatically. We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Welcome back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Christine, Wyatt, Dan, yours truly, Harry Hurley, filling in today for Guy, who will be back tomorrow. Uh, We promised from the very beginning of today's program this would be a busy news day on the Guy Benson Show, and no doubt it is. We'll, We'll be putting out in this segment at least four major items that there's a nexus between all of them. Karen Bask becoming the mayor-elect of Los Angeles and the opportunity lost with Rick Caruso not getting there. It it was one of those torturous things. Rick Caruso was almost like um, Adam Laxalt in Nevada. He was leading the whole time throughout all the vote counting until the very end. You always wonder, do they hold out? There's always this expression that certain Democratic strongholds hold out last the wait to see how many votes you need. I'm not saying they do anything like manufacture votes. People tease and say that people don't um, count votes anymore, that they're filling out ballots. I just don't want to believe that. I know there are a lot of things that go on. You hear terms such as ballot harvesting and all these things. I just want to believe that the greatest country in the history of the world, that we can actually have free and fair elections. It's not Pollyanna. I want to believe it. I want to believe that it is one person, one vote, and that the reason that it seems that Democrats win all these close elections is because they're beating Republicans with the vote by mail and with the early voting centers. I'll give you a a, a perfect example, and I know that Christine Wyatt and Dan know this. You take the Garden State, New Jersey, which, of course, I know best. I pay attention to the entire country, but you, you know your own home the best. We have 55 days of vote by mail. We have nine days of early voting at dozens of early voting centers throughout each of the 23, uh, 21 counties. So you know that if you're waiting for the one and only election day and the other side has already had two elections, they've had the vote by mail election and they've had the early voting election. And a little while ago uh, on the Guy Benson show, Congressman Michael Waltz made a very good point about this. What if you have terrible weather on Election Day? What if you got called into work? What if your children, you woke up and your children were sick, burning up with fever, flu, COVID-19, whatever? Meant to vote, didn't vote. You had 55 days. You had the last nine days. So they say, and it's corny, it's overused, but I think it fits. I'll do it again. Uh, I'll, you know, 
do the same thing you hear again and again and again, that the definition of insanity is when you continue to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result. You can, you can cry and, and moan and ache and say, oh, my gosh, you know, if uh, the debate in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania would have been two weeks sooner before 600,000 people voted. And the early voting in Pennsylvania, President Trump was leading Pennsylvania by five or 600,000 votes when I was going to say when I went to sleep, but I didn't go to sleep on election night. I stayed up uh, into a second day. So by the time I came back into my studio, President Trump was up by like 400,000 votes. And then it just kept getting closer and closer and closer uh, because the ballots they were opening were the early ballots where Democrats dominate. The easy thing to do is just say they cheat and all of this. There's no doubt. I mean, you've got bad actors and you see sporadic cases where people have voted more than once or people have broken different voting laws. But it really is, for the most part, it is Democrats that look at a wider spectrum of observation and say, hey, we're going to vote early. We're going to vote by mail and we're going to vote on Election Day. And then we got a really good chance to beat the team that only shows up for one day. Remember, too, when people are voting, in some cases, way more than two months before Election Day, you've got to treat that like the election is going on. You can't say, hey, we've got an October surprise or, you know, the first if if the election like this one was on the 8th of November, you're going to drop something on the first or the second a week before maximum political scud hit. Well, guess what? Half the electorate, maybe more, much more in some cases, have already voted. They didn't see your big surprise. So that's really, and Waltz was great on this. They really do need to figure this out and say, look, these rules, unless you elect new people to be secretary of state and your boards of election and so on, canvassers, if you don't change the rules, then this is the way it's going to be, and you have to be ready for that. And this is why you get DAs like Larry Krasner in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. If you've heard the news, he was impeached. Let's see where that goes. Uh, Karen Bass is elected the mayor of Los Angeles, defeating Rick Caruso. That's a devastating result for Los Angeles. Rick Caruso was ready to effectuate change. And remember, if you're the mayor of a large city, that's kind of like being the governor of a small state. You're the chief executive officer of a large city. And some of them are so large, they have much larger populations than some of the uh, congressional districts. Many of them do. What a difference that would have been. And there was a reason. You know, you have Hollywood people, they're moving out of Los Angeles in these areas, San Francisco and other areas where it's becoming unlivable. Krasner, the decisions he's been making, absolutely outrageous on a consistent basis. Alvin Bragg, let's equal opportunity here. We'll bring out all, all the hits, all the winners. Alvin Bragg, horrifically bad in New York. You have the District of Columbia, 
they never disappoint. Their council has passed a bill that will reduce maximum penalties for certain violent crimes. Now, the country has been so utterly violent for the past couple of years in particular. Attacks on police, fires, taking over police stations, the summer of love. You remember all of it. It was crazy. And these major cities have such a spike in shootings, in murder, other violent crime. You might be on the platform on a subway, and next thing you know, you're pushed. You don't even see it coming. You're walking down the street, and you get knocked out, hit your head on the concrete with a ventilator now down your throat, brain damage. And then there's this, Target. To date, for just this year, they have lost $400 million in lost profits. I didn't even know the term existed. Target has come up with a term that is called, quote, organized retail crime. Did you ever hear of such a thing? So on their ledger, they've got it now. We have our staffing costs. We have our salaries and wages. We have our fringe benefits. We have our operating costs. We have our accounts payable. We have our accounts receivable. And now on a toxic side of the ledger, they have to have a line item, organized retail crime. So thus far, into early, well, into early November, we're now past mid-November, $400 million they have lost in gross profit. This is this time this year versus 2021. The culprit, organized retail crime. With less than six weeks to go in this year, Target is expecting this $400 million loss number to rise to $600 million. And what's interesting, their chief financial officer said, and I quote, over the last 12 to 18 months, as crime has skyrocketed across United States cities, we expect to reduce our gross margin by more than $600 million for the full year. So, of course, they have to take action. They have to find a way to beat that awful trend. This will probably, who knows, cost employees their jobs. They have what's called inventory shrinkage. Here's the other thing, the indignity they experience. These items that are being stolen, they watch them go up on the Internet. And people are brazenly brazenly selling these ill-gotten gains. It's a nightmare. They're dealing with the labor shortages. They're dealing with the issues of employee retention. They dealt with the issues of what was called the great resignation. People just quit because they said, hey, look, they're paying me double this and double that. I'll just go go for this ride for a while. The stay-at-home ride is easier. And now, of course, th- this is sickening. They have the great resignation, and now it's the quiet quit. Ladies and gentlemen in the Guy Benson universe, have you ever heard the expression quiet quit? Quiet quit is probably everything that I resent in a bad employee. Quiet quit means you go to work every day or when you feel like it. You game the system. You use every hour creatively that you have. You get involved in pattern absenteeism. You get involved in when you are at work 
doing the very least amount of work that you can do. It's almost a game. It's like a sport. And they compare notes. I go in, I do nothing. I go in, I read. I go in, I play games. I go in, I do this. And, and then I fake like I'm working. And then when I have to, I do a little bit, but then I stop again. You think about trying to run an operation with that philosophy going on. The quiet quit means you do as little as you can without getting fired. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. How are bricks and mortar stores going to be able to stay open? You saw in the major cities where different convenience stores that have always been able to be open 24 hours a day have had to switch their hours where they're not open during the very prevalent hours. I used to have an expression, nothing good happens at 2, 3 in the morning except I'm on the highway coming into my studio. Uh, Nothing else is good. That's always bad news. Somebody's drinking and driving or who knows what, doing something bad. So they had to shut down the stores during those hours. They had to. They can't stay open because they can't keep up with the, quote, organized retail crime. Then, of course, you see it in New York and in all big cities, smash and grab. They have these metal whatever tools. They break glass. They're in. They're out within minutes. Bags of jewelry, watches, sneakers. They don't care, whatever it is. I saw a video of a guy driving through a big box store on a motorcycle, going up up and down each aisle and just taking whatever they want. And when they leave, what do you think happens? Nothing. And if they get caught, there's no bail. They're, they're, it's catch and release. They're out within hours, sometimes less. They tell the cops, oh, you go lock me up. I'm going to be out before you even do the paperwork. And they know it. And they're right. This is even in cases where they assault police officers. So if you wonder why is Larry Krasner being impeached, Look at what he's done in terms of letting people go that have no business being go let go. Look at the, the John Fetterman thing when he had a, a, a position as lieutenant governor where he could be one of the deciders on the parole board, the people that he would want to let go. It's mind bending, mind boggling. So that's a little just a little sort of drive by of Los Angeles. Philadelphia, our nation's capital, and I threw a little Target in there, Target, because this is what's going on. And I I really don't believe there's – certainly if we're just looking at the major cities, there's not a single major city that doesn't have the same exact problem going on. Violence towards the citizenry, setting fires, destroying property, stealing whatever you want. Assaulting police officers, assaulting innocent citizens, just minding their own business. That's not the America that we can accept. And that's why elections matter. And that's why who wins matters tremendously. And that's why if Rick Caruso could have shocked the conscience of Los Angeles and pulled this thing out and he came very, very close. What a difference. We can only theorize what the difference would be now because Karen Bass is going to be what 
you would expect. I mean, I think that's the same as Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, Karen Bass in uh, in uh, Los Angeles. Look at San Francisco. They're they're giving guaranteed income to people that they pick and choose. I mean, that's got to be an equal protection clause violation of the Constitution. You can't treat one differently than you treat another. And I will tell you that in Seattle, when they did the guaranteed income program, I knew it was going to fail for a whole year in advance. I, I said it was going to fail, and they did it for one year, and it spectacularly failed. Voting the Treasury is not sustainable. That's been the downfall of every democracy and every republic in the history of the world. And it's why most democracies fail long before, usually within 100 to 200 years, because once people find that they can vote the Treasury, it's it's over at that point. Uh, that's just some of the fun facts uh, that are going on as we speak. We'll be back. Much more. It is The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. Harry Hurley filling in for Guy, who will be back tomorrow. Let's close uh, on Daryl Brooks. Do you remember the name? No doubt you remember the circumstances and what he did and what he's been convicted of. And a lot of people don't know this, but when you commit a crime and a jury finds you guilty or a judge finds you guilty, you are not convicted until you are sentenced. It's just a little fun fact. Uh, So there is a period in time where you've been convicted, but you haven't been sentenced. Once you are sentenced, then you are officially a criminal. Other than that, you're accused. Daryl Brooks received six consecutive life sentences and on top of that, an additional 700 years in prison for the Wakasha Christmas parade attack. Wakosha, rather. Uh, This is unspeakable. It's unimaginable. The sentence is appropriate. You want to hear a mind-boggling sentence because if you cannot get the death penalty, you have to hear something along the lines of almost nothing you've ever heard. So this is life without parole, or if you're being specific, and I don't like the language, they call it life in prison without the possibility of extended supervision. I don't even like that. Because that makes it seem like, well, what do you mean not extended? What is there some way that he's going to get out? He will never, he will never get out. That's our quick update on Daryl Brooks. We'll be back. This is The Guy Benson Show. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Welcome to The Guy Benson Show with Christine Wyatt and Dan. My name is Harry Hurley. My privilege to fill in today for Guy, who will be back tomorrow. Let me take a vote in the Guy Benson universe. Does having subpoena power, does that qualify as the happy hour? 
I think Miranda Devine is going to agree with me on that. I'm going to say this qualifies as the happy hour because having subpoena power and all these frustrations of trying to get information where the, the best you could do would be to th- do these orders to preserve information. Don't destroy it. We know you have it. You won't give it to us, but preserve it because we're coming to get it. So this I'm going to say this is the happy hour because having subpoena power makes me happy. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to make the new Republican majority very happy. Miranda Devine is an outstanding New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor and author of what I call the Hunter Biden. I always say Hunter Biden. But the book is titled Laptop from Hell. Hunter Biden, Big Tech and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. Miranda, welcome to The Guy Benson Show. Thanks, Harry. Great to be with you. It's great to be with you. Uh, this is a big deal to me. I know we're going to talk about um, your views on Lee Zeldin, who I think is a star of the uh, 2022 midterm elections. The, the I think we could say that Lee Zeldin is probably the reason why there'll be a Republican majority, because I think these New York seats in Long Island and elsewhere that went Republican, Lee Zeldin was, you know, many times the Republicans have a drag on the top of the ticket. Uh, I think he helped in a big way. And I know you want him to be the master of the House. So let me turn it over to you, Miranda. What do you mean by that? Well, it's not really me. It's uh, a number of Republican members of Congress who are are pushing for Lee Zeldin to be uh, either to take over from uh, Kevin McCarthy as Speaker or to uh, take over from Ronna McDaniel as RNC chair. I mean, there's a real mood um, for change at the top. Um, It seems that Mitch McConnell is pretty unassailable. He has a lot of support there among uh, the senators. But um, Kevin McCarthy is quite vulnerable because the the margin that he has will be so small. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 219, 220, maybe the most would be 222. Um, and he needs 218 votes uh, to to get the speakership. And um, that vote will be taken in early January. And I know there are at least a couple of uh, his colleagues who say they will not vote for him under any circumstances. So in that case, um, it would be like, you know, break glass in times of emergency <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and, you know, that Lee Zeldin would be there and he would be perfectly um, capable and good at that job. He's well liked by everybody uh, across the conference. He is a four term congressman. Uh, he's only just packed up his desk this week. And uh, he also is a, a newfound hero because, as you say, uh, there's no way the Republicans would have subpoena power. You know, they would not be uh, looking at a majority in the House if it weren't for New York. I mean, New York saved the Republican Party, and more importantly, it saved America from another two years of, you know, unfettered vandalism by the Biden administration. And uh, thanks to Lee Zeldin and his very strong campaign, he pulled up the people down ballot, and the GOP managed to flip four House seats. And that's a pretty amazing uh, you know, performance in deep blue New York that was taken for granted. They had to, the Democrats had to send in the top guns in the waning days of the election campaign. They sent in Obama, the Clintons, even Joe Biden came to New York. They were desperate. They were really concerned. And he came closer uh, to winning the governorship than anybody had for decades. It's true. And since Pataki and I actually I totally agree 
with what you said in your number of it's going to be in the range of 220 to 215, uh, maybe 221. I don't necessarily see 222, uh, but that would be the absolute high water mark. And let's not forget, and I know you don't, but I want guys, listeners to remember, Kevin McCarthy had 31 Republicans vote against him two days ago, 31. It was like 188 to 31. So I'm not saying that all 31 of them would be never McCarthyites because it might be, hey, he's a guy running. All right, I'll vote for him. I didn't vote for him the other day because I thought it was too early and we should wait. But I'll vote for him. He's the only one. And uh, so I'll do it. But I agree with you. I think the Freedom Caucus in particular, uh, there's probably enough just there to deny him 218. This could be messy, couldn't it? It could be messy. I don't think it's going to be the lay down misere that uh, they might have expected. Um, but, you know, you'd never count out Kevin McCarthy. He really is the king of the schmooze and yeah. he's, uh, he, you know, soothing the savage beast. He promises whatever to various members. And, and of course, with the, the, the thin margin, it, it gives individual members a lot of pull, uh, gives them a lot of leverage that they might not have had in if uh, the Republicans had done better. Um, but certainly, um, uh, Lee Zeldin is destined for some leadership role in um, the Republican Party, and I think that's a good thing because his fresh ideas, his um, energy, his uh, his kind of discipline, military discipline, you might call it, um, it, it really proved to be formidable during the campaign. And he also showed, because he was running in New York, that he had the the ability to appeal uh, to conservatives and also independents and even some uh, moderate Dems uh, because he was so sharp on his message, because there are obviously huge problems across the country uh, with crime and the border and inflation and, you know, economic policy and, and just the general disaster of the Biden administration. But to be able to articulate that uh, crisply and put it into terms where you are offering um, clear solutions, that really was what Lee Zeldin excelled at. I agree with you completely, and and I think you can easily make the case he made the Democrats spend extra resources, time, money, to to lose those seats that Republicans picked up. And, of course, that took funds away from other races, which maybe they lost because of it. So he really um, is a significant figure in in the whole election and i think i think we can make the case miranda and i think you have that if lee zeldin was not the candidate for governor democrats this would have been an absolute disaster there'd be no explaining it democrats would have kept the house and kept the senate yeah well i mean it, it's it's really it's been a, a really tight race and uh, we can't say that it was a disaster because a win is a win. You I know, agree. The, no, the, I, the I know it's not. I'm saying if yeah. they didn't keep it, it uh, would have been absolutely. a disaster. It was a very close call. Yeah. And I think that for that reason, uh, the Republican leadership has to take accountability. They have to be held accountable. You can't lose in 2020, uh, lose what everyone expected was going to be a red wave. Some were even predicting a red tsunami um, at at the last minute and blame it all on Donald Trump. Uh, Obviously, I think Donald Trump um, was a factor, but 
but, you know, it's just a cop-out. It's just really a cynical diversion tactic from the leadership to pin all the blame on Donald Trump. And, and all they're doing uh, by saying that is playing into the Democrats' um, entire kind of divide-and-conquer uh, tactic, which is to pit Republicans against each other. And um, that's not a good thing to do. Unfortunately, Mitch McConnell has been playing that game, uh, you know, as, acting as if sort of MAGA Republicans are bad candidates. Um, you know, MAGA is make America great again. That's the strength of uh, the Republican base. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that Donald Trump is a lock for the presidential primary, because who knows what happens between then and now. And there are a lot of very formidable younger candidates who will come up against him, including, I believe, uh, it's pretty certain that uh, Ron DeSantis will be. But there are many others. And also, you just don't know who the Democrats are going to put up. Um, we know it's not going to be Joe Biden, that's for sure. But uh, there's rumours now about Michelle Obama. She's on a book tour yeah. She's, uh, you know, obviously. Well, hey, Miranda, remember how she answered the question when she was directly asked about should Joe Biden run for reelection? I mean, she did the Ralph Cramden, hama, 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 hama. She didn't know what to say to all of that. She she looked like somebody maybe uh, stalking in the background a bit. How about Hillary? Is there any chance that she thinks that she will be called to come to the rescue? Look, I really think that's even less likely than Mm -hmm. Michelle Obama. I mean, obviously, she holds some uh, ambitions and and bitterness and grievances and would love nothing better. But the fact that she lost in 2016, um, you know, it was was a good part of that was down to her. Her, She is just uh, has uh, she's repels a a big part of the electorate. And I, I think it's like Kamala Harris. She's just not a likable person. And Hillary Clinton had a lot of baggage. And I don't know that Americans really want to get back into the dynasty situation of, you know, the Bushes and the Clintons and so on. Um, they, they, they've kind of written that off. And it's a much, it's a much harsher climate now. We're probably heading into a recession. Uh, times are tough and uh, it's a precarious global situation. Um, I think this next election, presidential election in 24, will be very serious. It'll be a different environment to what it was in 2016. Very insightful. Miranda Devine on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline. Let me go back to Kevin McCarthy. Could the margins be so tight that in order for him to get 218, you know there are many, you know this, and and, and I think we're going to be sharing something that perhaps some in the Guy Benson Show audience have never heard before. But the rules got changed a number of years ago where the speaker has tremendous power. Uh, and, and obviously it's a powerful position. You assign the committees, and there's just all kinds of things about it that obviously are very, very powerful. But the, there are members, I believe, that are planning to squeeze McCarthy, say, all right, well, we'll get you to 218, but you've got to relinquish some of this power. We're going to change the rules. Do you think that's the minimum price he has to pay for entry to the speakership? Yeah, look, I think that there's horse trading going on in a million different ways. Uh, you know, individual members are asking for their pet. Um, you know, look at look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's now uncharacteristically backed Kevin McCarthy, and uh, that's 
reported to be because he's promised to do an inquiry into the January 6, uh, you know, the unfair treatment of the January 6 prisoners. Um, so each each person has their own beef, and because the margins are so thin they have more leverage. And so uh, you wouldn't really want to be Kevin McCarthy at the moment. Um, he's trying to keep everybody happy and trying to juggle this um, fractious conference. But I do think that there are, well, I know of at least two members who have said that there is nothing that he could offer them that they would take. Um, and, and whether that's because of you know personal hostility, who knows? There's a long way to play out because I guess two can play at that game. Um, it's it's ugly behind the scenes, very ugly, and I think what's going on. Um, I spoke to Liz. He was coy about uh, about the speaker's role. He just said he had been by um, you know numerous half dozen different jobs, and they include the. He, he, he was happy to say uh, the RNC chairmanship with, you know, Ronna McDaniel um, running for a fourth term is just absurd. She does not <laughs> have any wins on the board. And, uh, you know, I think she's she's well liked by a lot of people and um, and so on. And, and she's probably been good with donors. But the fact is that... Um, the the ballot harvesting and other issues that that went on the the changing of the rules by clever Democrat lawyers yep, yep. back in the early stages of 2020 under cover of the pandemic that was that was she was very flat footed on that the bureaucracy the the Republican machine was really caught off guard by the Democrat machine yep. as as always you just need to be sharper and faster and and you know they never really recovered from that and to have now you know similar things seem to have happened in 2022 mm -hmm. when they had two years to solve those problems. Um, I don't know the full extent of the issues, but I just get the feeling from what people tell me that there was not enough done. So I think, yeah. you know, you, you need a sacrificial lamb anyway. Whether or not she's done a brilliant job or a not brilliant job, you need to change the leadership once you've had... Uh, you could almost say she's had or, three or, losses. Yeah, or it's like Joe Biden. It's like Joe Biden, Miranda. What are you going to change? Nothing. Uh, it doesn't It doesn't sell. Final minute. Got to get this in. Wish we had at least 10 more minutes, but we don't. Final minute. James Comer, Jim Jordan, two, two Republican members of Congress, they held basically a no-holds-barred press conference. They're making it clear the entire Biden organization is really going to be under serious investigation. Are you hopeful that we will finally get the truth? About 45 seconds. Well, look, they have subpoena power, so they will be able to get documents and get testimony from people they can compel that they have to tell the truth about things that we haven't been able to get to the bottom of. The money trail is one. Uh, they, they are on the right track. They are saying this is not about Hunter Biden. It is about Joe Biden and whether he's compromised. Miranda Devine, always a pleasure to interview you. Next time we'll talk about this whole cryptocurrency thing. It's um, it's really unbelievable. I think it's going to wind up making Madoff look small. you got this FTX lawsuit, Tom Brady, Giselle Bujton, uh, Steph Curry, Shaq O'Neal, Larry David, and countless other people. This is This is really going to be serious, isn't it? It sure is a big story to keep an eye on. And, I mean, the rest of the crypto market seems to be suffering too. Keep up your great work. You're so important to our country. Thank you, Miranda. Oh, thank you so much, Harry. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Isn't she fantastic? We will be back. This is 
the Guy Benson Show. It's going to be so much fun what we're doing next. Don't go away. We'll be back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley filling in today. Guy will be back tomorrow. I'm with Christine White and Dan, of course. Now, I would like you to square, ladies and gentlemen, The Guy Benson Show. I would like you to square the two statements you're about to listen to from the very same person, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. First, you will hear Chuck Schumer, 2009 installment version, and then you will hear Chuck Schumer, 2022 installment. Dan, please do the honors. Cut 32, please. Construction of a 630-mile border fence that create a significant barrier to illegal immigration on our southern land border. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. Until the American people are convinced that we will stop future flows of illegal immigration, we will make no progress on dealing with the millions of illegal immigrants who are here now. Okay, illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. Okay, Chuck Schumer, 2022. Cut, 21. Immigrants make us stronger now more than ever. Now more than ever. We're short of workers. Uh, We have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. It was all wrong until it wasn't. That's Chuck Schumer. Oh, that is inconsistent. When we come back, United States Congressman Chip Roy from the 21st Congressional District of the great state of Texas as we continue a very busy news day. Thanks for spending this portion of your day on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Ah, the happy hour continues. It's been very happy thus far. Joining us on The Guy Benson Show, I'm Harry Hurley filling in today. Guy will be back tomorrow. I'm with Christine Wyatt and Dan, you know that. Uh, they're f- phenomenal. And thank you, uh, Christine Wyatt and Dan, for making the past two days uh, an absolute delight for me. You make it very, very easy for me to just uh, jump in. Thank you so much. Congressman Chip Roy is here, the distinguished gentleman from the 21st Congressional District in the great state of Texas, obviously a border state that has been dealing with this illegal immigration invasion, I mean, mightily with really no help from the federal government. Congressman Roy's district stretches from South Austin through the Hill Country to downtown San Antonio. Congressman Roy serves on the House Judiciary Committee, Veterans Affairs Committee, and is the chairman of the Republican Study Committee on the Health Care Task Force. Congressman Roy, welcome to The Guy Benson Show. Great to be on, Harry. I appreciate it. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for uh, hosting for Guy. Thank you, sir. I'm doing very well, Congressman, and thank you for your service. Congressman Roy, federal district judge Emmett Sullivan has done it again. He's issued a decision which I think is just indefensible. The Biden administration reintroduced the emergency, the health emergency, after the election, of course. They took it away because they wanted to get votes. They put it back on once the election's over. So they're admitting that there's some kind of health emergency. Very bad decision. Uh, I think it it played so bad that then the judge said, hey, oh, it doesn't start tomorrow. you got five weeks. So they realize how bad this is going to be. Give us your take 
on how powerful a tool this um, authority in Title 42 is and, and what it means to lose it. Well, let, let me first start just for, for the audience benefit, like how this works, right? The default rule under our law is that the, the United States and our Border Patrol, under the leadership of the Department of Homeland Security, is supposed to have operational control of the border. We are supposed to turn people away at the border uh, unless they have some credible fear of you know, persecution that would give them a shot at asylum, and they're supposed to have that claim adjudicated. And for the most part, if, you're not, if you don't have papers, you don't have a credible fear for asylum, you are not supposed to be brought into the United States and released. There you go. But that's what we're doing. And we're allowing the asylum laws and parole, which is another technical small uh, piece of our, our, our law, to be the exceptions that swallow the rule of actual security. So that's the starting place. Title 42 is meant to say you don't even have to process anybody on the, when they have an asylum claim or anything like that if you have a credible uh, concern about what's happening with respect to a pandemic, right? Yeah. So that's what Title 42 is, which obviously was relevant during COVID, but it's relevant for all manners of tr- communicable diseases. True. The problem is, is that we are now relying on Title 42 for about, oh, about a 30 to 40 percent enforcement rate. Because at the end of the day, we have, say, 230 or 40,000 apprehensions in October. About almost 80,000 people were turned away under Title 42, which means the rest were being released into the United States. What's happening is the judge issues this ruling. It was the wrong ruling. Thankfully, at least stayed for a bit uh, because uh, he's a leftist. The administration, as liberal as they are, are now saying, oh, crap. And Dick Durbin in the Senate is saying, oh, crap. And a whole bunch of saying, even we can't process that many people and release them if we end up with 17,000 a day instead of about 7,000 a day. So that's the problem. They are facing a real crisis. And they know it, so they're trying to figure out what to do because they've never been enforcing the law since this administration got in power. And here's a judge that is just ignoring that the Centers for Disease Control, uh, the CDC, put this in. I mean, why would someone take something away? And you make a very good point. Right now they're saying that the flu is is more serious than COVID-19 at the moment with the current strains. Uh, so, And people are coming in with other diseases we don't know. Uh, this was a perfect way to deal with it, and then we would decide if somebody could come in. Now, once they're in, we know the plan. I mean, they're dispersed. That's why I always I get amused when they get so upset. These sanctuary cities and their mayors and governors, they get so upset that that maybe Governor Abbott is sending a bus to Philadelphia or to New York City or Governor DeSantis to um, Martha's Vineyard. I mean, these are sanctuary cities. They should be embracing this. This is their nirvana. Congressman Roy, this is what they wanted. Why do they complain? Well, let me just say one thing about the state of things. Um, I introduced a bill, for example, that would require uh, demand that the Department of Homeland Security either fully detain or turn away as the threshold law. Now, I believe that our laws basically require that. But they're using exceptions Mm. to get around the underlying actual letter and spirit of the law. So I introduced a bill to try to say, look, we're going to demand you do this. No exceptions. Uh, Title 42 is only a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It's not actually a full uh, measure of protection. Why do I say that? 
Well, maybe it could be because of the we don't know the exact number, but somewhere around one and a half to two million people who have been released mm-hmm. into the United States intentionally under parole, asylum or other manners of catch and release and the almost one million gotaways that have occurred under the Biden administration. This is purposeful because the left, they admitted it. The deputy press secretary of the White House of this administration said they want a liberal world order. They don't believe in sovereignty. They don't believe in securing the border because they believe anybody can come and go. It's not even about votes, Harry. I mean, look, it's literally about a belief that a one-world-type government order that they can just come and go as they please, and that's the underlying problem with the leftist mindset. No, and how about, not how about sovereignty. Congressman, I agree with you completely. It was a great explanation to a complex issue. That's how they want it. You know it's how they want it because they purposely leave it that way. The border fence was there uh, in one section of the southern border, paid for. The labor was paid for. No, but you can't finish it. Okay, so we'll put some some, uh, trailers there, a couple high. And then we'll we'll close it off that way. It's not perfect, but at least it's it's it slows it down. Oh no, you got to take them out. Well, why would I have to take them out? So because they want the border to be open, and every so often they get caught. When Mayorkas is testifying, and my congressman Jeff Andrew is saying, "You you can't be serious." He's he's almost like John McEnroe. You cannot be serious. Uh, the, you say that the the border is secure, and this this secretary Mayorkas says it is. It's 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 remarkable. It's it's blatant intellectual dishonesty. I, I'm totally going to go take a clip of John McEnroe saying, "You can't be serious." Yes, and, and by the way, he that. yeah, and, and, and he doesn't use the contraction "can't." He always what always amused right. me. He says, "You cannot be serious." Yeah, you cannot be <laughs> yes. serious. Was, yeah. There, there, yeah. man, those are the good old days. Take take oh, it we like were, that was your idea, <laughs> Congressman. That's my gift. That's my Thanksgiving <laughs> Thank you, and man. Christmas gift. So let me ask you about the fact, and the margin's going to be thin, but a win is a win. You're going to be in the majority come January 3rd. I think you can change this game. Subpoena power alone. I was very encouraged with your fellow colleagues, Congressman Jordan and Comer, today at the press conference that they held. They're going after this stuff. We're going to hopefully finally get to the truth about a lot of things, aren't we? Well, look, uh, Jim Jordan is one of my very good friends, as is Jamie Comer. Uh, We've got an opportunity with these gavels to hold this administration accountable. But I want to say something, two two things. Number one, if we're going to have a significant oversight effort, it needs to be a coordinated church committee-style effort that demonstrates to the American people and cuts through the noise that there is an organized effort to weaponize the federal government against the American people. It's not political. It's not even about Hunter Biden. It's about the power of the FBI. It's about the power of the IRS. It's about the power of Anthony Fauci and the NIH and CDC and FDA screwing the American people, jamming needles in people's arms, undermining our freedom, and forcing us to bend at the will of the federal government, and we need to stop it. And here's the important part, and it's point two. None of this matters if we continue to fund the very garbage we campaign against. Stop funding the bureaucrats that you're complaining about in an oversight hearing. So well said. And and you, you raise one of the most important points in all of this. It has to inspire confidence that the result, it's like our elections. When you have an eight, nine, 10 days and you don't know who won, 
people just their minds wander and they think you're cheating. You're counting until you get the result you want. How can Florida count eight million votes by nine o'clock and you can't count a million votes in 10 days? So it, it, if you don't inspire the American people to trust the outcome, it doesn't matter what you do, does it? That's exactly right. And actually, that's one of my biggest issues with the current whole leadership process in this town, right? We had an arbitrary vote two days ago uh, setting a date for our Republican conference to choose leadership. We didn't have a full-throated debate about the future of this party, this country. We didn't have a full-throated discussion and back and forth about the agenda and, and a more detailed, better plan than I think the fairly weak commitment that I don't think inspired enough people. I think we should have a full-throated debate about what we're going to do to use the power of the purse to check this government, the kinds of uh, oversight committee hearings that, and oversight hearings that we're going to have across the board, and making sure that we're going to actually stop having the same power brokers make all the decisions in this town in the Rules Committee and the cardinals on these committees who do not represent the conservative ideology of the American people and the Republican electorate. We need to change it. We need to stop embracing the status quo. And I'm telling you, we've got a long ways to go until January 3rd before we have an understanding of whether or not our leadership gets that and who our leadership are ultimately going to be as a result of that. I listened very intently to what you just said. It's United States Congressman Chip Roy on the Guy Benson Show Newsmaker Hotline from Texas's 21st Congressional District, a great American. I really like what you just said. Do you think there's a chance that on January 3rd, Kevin McCarthy might not have 218 Republican votes? Those listening, it's not like you can go ask some Democrats to come on over. He's got to get 218 from Republicans, you may have 220, 221, no more than 222 with the six seats that are left right now. Is this is this done or is this not yet done? Nobody in this town currently has 218 votes or close to it as a little matter of asterisk clarification, depending on the number of present votes and how many election certificates are turned in. Sometimes you can be elected with 215, 216, 217. There you go. So, but with that recognized, the point is that 222, if you have, say, 10 Republicans who are not yet uh, fully bought in, shall I say, then you don't have it. You don't have the number requisite. So we're having an ongoing conversation, but I can promise you nobody has the requisite votes for speaker yet, and we need assurances. And I don't just mean promises. I mean we need changes. We need demonstrated changes from anyone who wants to step up as speaker, demonstrated changes to how this place operates enough. Stop doing what we've always done, $32 trillion in debt, wide open borders empowering the bureaucrats that are going after the American people, endless wars with a military that is more focused on woke social engineering than killing people and blowing things up. I've had it. We need to change things. And I'm not going to listen to the same people who have been blowing this stuff up and messing up this country for the last several decades. Should we as citizens be guided at all by the 31 Republicans that did not vote or could some of for for uh, for Leader McCarthy, could could that be that some of them just didn't want to vote before the election was even over and before the race was even called that Republicans would be in the majority? I think everybody knew it, but it hadn't happened yet. You voted actually before the race for the 218th seat, uh, Garcia, who really pulled off, I know you know him, an amazing yeah. win. He went from winning by 333 votes during that zombie vote by mail election of 2020 to winning by about 10 points 
uh, this year. Very amazing. And they made his district even more Democrat. He's a star in this election. I don't know him, but he's a star sure. just just pulling off what he did. Is Are well, those 31 that voted no? Are they a mixed bag of against Leader McCarthy, just against that the vote was that day? What should we draw from that? Well, first of all, let me just say something about Mike Garcia. Good man, a veteran. I was proud to help him a little. I didn't do much. But, I mean, he's, a, he's someone that I'm, I'm proud of and proud to be in the conference with. And look, I, look, I'm proud to be in the conference with a lot of people, a lot of diverse views. But we have a broken system that empowers a handful of people to make decisions, and that has to stop. The vote on Tuesday, which was – 188 for Kevin McCarthy, 31 for Andy Biggs, whom I nominated for speaker, and five who voted for someone else. So yeah. there were 36 Wow, that didn't okay. vote for uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Now, why does that matter? To your question, are there 36 no votes on January 3rd? I don't know. That's not, that's not the case. It, this was a secret ballot inside the family. But there is a large block of that 36, I'm not going to get into the numbers yet, who are not convinced yet that we have the leadership team from top to bottom that gets what time it is in America and the need to change. That's what I want to see. People say, well, what do you mean by that? I don't know. You know it when you see it. I've got ideas. I've got things that I think need to change. But you know it when you see it. Leadership is something that is followed. It is not something that is elected. You have to figure out how you're going to convince me and a whole bunch of people in this town or in this conference, I should say, to get to 200 and, you know, 17, 16, 17, 18. And you're so right. It's not 31. It's not 36, uh, because it's probably going to wind up that you can't afford to lose more than five, something very, very small. So I think at the minimum, uh, members are going to be able to get the rules changed and some of the power of the speaker will be diminished and and worked uh, in a different way that then a member could say, all right, I can vote for you now because, you know, you gave me something that changed the order, the good order of the House, and, and, and you had too much power before the speaker. So it's going to be very interesting here. We've got to run in about 30 seconds. Closing comment, anything that you want to end with? Look, we're heading into Thanksgiving week, and we are so abundantly blessed in this country. But we are at a critical junction, and all of us know it and we feel it. And I have an obligation, and every Republican that was just elected in the majority of the House of Representatives has an obligation to defend that country for which we're thankful and that we want to save for our kids and grandkids. We will be praying and gathering with family this next week, but we got to do our job and get back in here and lead the American people with a new vision and the change necessary. Congressman Roy, great to visit with you on The Guy Benson Show. You too. God bless. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. You do the same. When we come back, we're going to talk about it's a very big evening And it's an annual evening. It's the fourth annual where Fox News as an organization, all their platforms, they they honor, they recognize. Basically, they're not ordinary, but that's sort of how you word it, ordinary, but they're extraordinary people that have done ordinary people that have done extraordinary things. We'll talk about it next. This is The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Welcome back to the Guy Benson Show. Tonight's a very important night as Fox Nation host Pete Hegseth will return to MC the fourth annual Fox Patriot, Fox Nation Patriot Awards. They will honor everyday American heroes. If you are, as I am, I'm a founding member of, of the uh, Fox Nation. We've got our bling right here. 
uh, you just go on, you watch it. It'll start at 7 p.m. You'll see Pete. You will see all kinds of neat recipients and wonderful categories where they will be recognized. You'll have a lot of the Fox News Channel primetime personalities and notable news talent that will be on hand. Greg Gutfeld, Jesse Waters, Sean Hannity, Dana Perino, Dan Bongino, Judge Jeanine Pirro, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, and more. On behalf of Christine and Wyatt and Dan, it's been an honor to pinch hit for the last two days. My goal is always to not break Guy Benson's show. I don't think we have, but that's for others to decide. Guy will return tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks for listening to The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.